Today on Fish's Call Sheet, we have a special guest, a preeminent editor in our business, a unbelievably talented member of the Connors who really shapes our show, who pieces together our often long episodes and gets them down into the area that we want. Uh, multiple Emmy-nominated Brian Schnuckel is here to share the back and behind the scenes of editing and uh, give me some tricks of the trade and make me up my game. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you, Michael? Good to see you. What is your official title? Well, I am actually the editor and I also have a co-producing credit. They just feel that I give so much to the show that they uh, feel that I deserve that. So and I'm happy they do that. But I basically edit the entire show. We're so pressed for time and we have so many good jokes, so many funny moments. A lot of times, you know, we're six, seven, eight minutes. And for people who don't edit, they don't realize, you know, that's a third of an extra show mm -hmm. every week. And, and trying to get all of that to line up and be smooth and keep as much of the highlights as you can, but at the same time, balance what you have to cut to get to time. But it's such an art form. You really do shape episodes that way. Yeah, it becomes a sometimes a trade-off as to what to keep and what not to keep. I remember going back to the Roseanne reboot pilot was nine minutes long. <laughs> and we were just looking at each other like, how did this happen? Sometimes you don't want to take up big chunks and you can't because of the, the pipe or the information in there. But we figured out how to get the time out. And hey, it, it's a great episode. They're all great episodes. A lot of times going in, they know we're long and they have tape cuts. So we have built in ideas of how we're going to take the time out. But we want to shoot it long because, you know, sometimes the audience reaction is great and the actor, you guys just ad lib sometimes and it's just hilarious. We always try and shoot for the stars and keep everything we can and then get it to get it to 2130. <laughs> What are the things that you look for first? It's the main story points. It's, it's what you've kind of agreed on ahead of time. And how many voices in an average? I attend both the table read and the, and the writers run through and the, and the producers run through and the network run through. So I'm always kind of knowing what's going on. I'm always watching to see what's happening with the script because sometimes it'll change. Little things will change. I basically do my cut based on what I've seen on the floor and I'm, in Video Village the entire time. So I kind of know what the producers want, what the director wants. So I edit my cut, the editor's cut, based on that. And I edit everything. So if it's nine minutes long, it's nine minutes long. And then the director will come in. Generally, the director doesn't take anything out. Our showrunner, of course, wants to see everything as it was shot. So it'll still be long or around the same time. You know, sometimes there's a performance change or this or that, but it, it, it's basically as written. And then it basically goes to Bruce Helford. He and I go through it. And sometimes Dave Kaplan and Bruce Rasmussen are, are present. And, and Sarah, of course, and, and Tom eventually, Tom Warner, our uh, studio. Since I'm on the floor all the time, I kind of know what they like, what, what's the best take. And as you know, we don't shoot a lot of takes on this show. We shoot two or three takes. So I'm kind of limited as to which take to use anyway. But that's kind of the gist of it. And then, of course, after that, it goes to the network. And they note it. We don't get a lot of notes from the network, as you probably know, which is good. They, they have a lot of trust in our show. When you meet people and you tell people that you edit, 
when I tell them I'm a film editor, they become a lot more engaging, like, oh, really? W what do you work on, you know? And when you say the Connors, they go, oh, because everyone knows Connors, right? They're all excited and everything. And they ask me, you know, do you know Michael Fishman? Do you know Sarah Gilbert? You know, of course I do, you know? It's fun. It's fun to work on a popular show like we do. Now, what's the best part of your job as an editor? Boy, that's a good question. I just love editing. There's, there's a different type of person, I think, the, that can sit in a room, because I work alone a lot of the time. You know, I do my first cut alone, and that's a few days. And even after that, a lot of it's alone, too. Sometimes the director doesn't come in. He or she will just, you know, email me notes or whatever. So you got to, it's a different personality. You got to be able to work alone. You have to have a good sense of rhythm for the show. Our show is not Friends or Will and Grace or anything different. They're great shows. They're just cut a lot differently. The story's just kind of meandering through there. And, you know, sometimes the audience will laugh at a joke for 15, 20 seconds. You know that. And you just cut around the room for reactions. And you guys are always giving me great reactions. So, uh, it's nice to have a show that gives you that rather than bang, 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 cut, cut, cut. We, we let the show kind of breathe and, and uh, form, its own, form its own rhythm, basically. What's the greatest gift as an editor? Reactions around a room? Is it the way it's shot? What are the things as an editor where you're like, yes, thank you for giving me this? It's a little bit of everything, but I would say reactions around the room really help a lot, you know? You guys are really good about staying, what we say, in the scene. When you're editing, you want to cut to a reaction of someone and they're, you can see that they're thinking of their next line. <laughs> yeah, they're, or, they're plotting their next move as opposed to enjoying the moment. And you, know, you, need that, you need that dog head turn or you just need something that lets you know that they're on board with whatever actor that they're talking to has just said. So it's always good to realize that two of the cameras are probably on you <laughs> as yeah. a reacting uh, actor. So you right. gotta give us something. I'm a firm believer, especially I love with multicam in particular. Yeah. There's something special about in comedy, the interaction of the room, because in families, right, half of what happens or, or most incidents start with something unsaid. Correct. And so I think being able to share that moment. So I'm always a big proponent of, you know, hear everything everybody says in the room. Take in what that means. What does it mean for your character? But what does it mean for the family? What does it mean for the environment? So I'm always trying to make sure you stay engaged. And there's a lot of people, especially people who come purely from procedural dramas or movies mm -hmm. where they do mostly their coverage one at a time, meaning they shoot their part and then the other part. And they may not even be in the same room with the other main actor most of the time. It's harder, yes. Yeah. And they get distant sometimes because they're not used to expressing that muscle all the time or staying right. through everything. And like you said, you can't see them thinking about what they're supposed to say next. Right. And as you know, we shoot one take usually to the end. And if, if there's a problem with the camera or an actor misses a line or there's a bad sound effect, We'll just plow through it. We don't want to take you guys out of the scene. You know, we'll go back and do another take if we need to. Sometimes we don't need to. Sometimes, you know, I'm in Video Village all the time, so I know what's 
what I can edit around and what I need to reshoot. But even then, we usually don't do short pickups. We give you guys enough time before what I need to get get into the scene so that it doesn't look like, you know, oh, that looks like a pickup. I mean, I don't know if people notice that, but we do, right? right. I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, but we probably watch slightly different. I do think, you know, part of hopefully doing this, but also just in general, is I think our audiences are becoming so much more aware and they're so much more well-educated because a yeah. lot of people shoot stuff now. A lot of people are posting things online or, or making clips. So I think they're starting to understand the way those jumps and cuts kind of work. Right. It's great having a, a live audience there because you guys really feed off that, I know. It's a different experience. You can raise the level, but also you get to challenge yourself. And especially when you do more than one take, it's a chance to either do something different or really play or, or heighten or ride that wave of the timing. And that's right. the thing. The timing changes one take to another. And that also plays a, a different game with you for editing from timing and, and maybe perspective or which camera angles you may go to. Right. I, I see you guys, you do something in the first take and, and you, you know, you thought maybe the audience will react to that. Maybe they won't. And you, they do. And then you go, well, I could step it up a notch and do something even bigger than that. And then the audience just roars. Right. And then, and then I have to figure out how to uh, get to the next take. Right. <laughs> Sometimes right. it's not that easy. You know, once you have one good one kind of already, you know, that's in the can and we have that, then you're kind of free to play as much as you want. And that's a lot of times where the really fun stuff happens. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, we sometimes have a physical show and uh, you guys just take it and just roll with it. I mean, I remember sometimes, I remember Lori Metcalf when she was doing the routine from her high school with the broom and she was twirling the thing and everything. <laughs> and the first take was good, but then the second take, she added a couple more twists to that. And it was right. just, we were all roaring. It was crazy funny. Well, and with Lori, it's funny because we kind of egg her on from the standpoint of, she's like, did I go too far? We're like, no, 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 add more, go more, do bigger, right? I don't know that she could go too far. I think everyone's so used to her that what is too much with her, right? Right. <laughs> As an editor, what's the hardest part? Wow. I don't know. I would have to say the hardest part is deciding what to take out and what to leave because I do have input into that too. Generally, Bruce Helford and I go through the show and let's say it's six minutes long. Um, and we'll do a pass and we'll take four of that out, whatever, five, somewhere in there. We get it down to where it's more manageable. And then I go through the show and I look for couplets to take out, air to take out, or this and that. And I make myself a little sheet of lines. As you know, our script is numbered, so I do everything by numbers. And then Bruce will come back in. It depends on how much time he has, but sometimes we'll sit and watch a whole thing or sometimes he'll say, so what do you think, you know? And I just step through these things and go, we could take this out, cut to a reaction of a fishman and do this, yada, yada. There's 14 seconds, you know, or we could do this. And usually he's, you know, a lot of times he's agreeable. Sometimes it just depends on how close he is to the script, you know, who wrote it. <laughs> So we get the time out and then he gets, he usually gets me within, within 10 or 15 seconds. And then I can just take that time out. I don't even need anybody to help me do that. 
I just go ahead and tighten the show a little here and there, and it's imperceivable what I do. So I think that's the hardest part. Editing, you guys, is it, it's kind of natural because you guys are also natural, and it's just like, like I say, you our show is not one where you say your line and then I cut off of you instantly. I hang on you because your face is tell all, you know? So then I go to the next person or the next setup or whatever. So um, that's the easy part for me. The hard part is deciding what to take out, I think. <laughs> it's so different from one project to the next, how you might edit. You know, something where you kind of let it flow and you go reaction to reaction to moment to moment versus really trying to like do jump cuts or back and forth. You know, there's a lot more close, 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 right? Like right. in and out, you know, and that's a very different style. Right. And that's not really our show generally. Right. Yeah. Now, do you have a preference show type? I mean, you seem to really enjoy what we do. I do. I, I like it because it's a, you know, you guys are all world-class actors. You know, you do two days of rehearsal and we're there. You know, you know, the, the character development, you guys already obviously have known that for 15 years and you just know what to do. So it's it's a piece of cake. And we've got, you know, well-established directors that come in and do this. And, and uh, it, it happens so quickly. I think, you know, we shoot Friday nights at six and we're done by before nine generally. That's and that's really great. fast for TV. I know people think, you know, you're thinking a half hour show. But realistically, four or five hours. You know, I talked to Bill Sindelar, who does our mm -hmm. warm-up, and he works on shows where they're four or five, six hours into taping. Oh, I've edited those. <laughs> that and, you know, has at, to be really hard. Well, and at 11 o'clock, you know, you're like, okay, we need to send the audience home. Because <laughs> they've been there for six hours, and right. you can just tell their beat. So then it becomes more of a... Um, issue for video village and we send a few people in the audience to laugh so that the actors still feel like someone's watching right <laughs> um but yeah we've all been there there's shows that get get rewritten on the set totally i've i've been there when they have rewritten entire scenes and you literally take an hour while the writers and director figure everything out then they have to block it and then they have to shoot it. It happens, you know, it happens on pilots frequently, you know, and I get that. That's very important. The pilot is your make or break. If you don't put your best foot forward on a pilot, you may not get the pickup. And understandably, going back to character development, they don't really know how these actors are going to jive with each other until maybe they've shot a couple scenes and you're going, okay, okay, you know, maybe we could do this or do that. So they're, they're trying to get the network or whoever to buy the show. So generally pilots go later than a normal. I love playing with the passion of an audience. And I look at that opportunity as us, we should be ready to put on a show and then you rise and use the energy they have and kind of match that rhythm and it really helps you heighten things. And I love a live audience gives you live feedback. Yeah. It's so, right there, right in front of you. Yeah. And there's a joke that you may think is great, but for whatever reason, it doesn't resonate with them. And you're like, okay, we need to reevaluate that one. Put yeah. The, the joke, maybe sometimes it's just flipping it. 
and sure. you know, changing the word and making sure the joke is towards the end of the line as opposed to the beginning where you have a bunch of stuff after that kind of steps on the rest of the laugh or the enjoyment. I mean, sometimes they have uh, the blow of the scene and they've got a couple different versions. And you know, you've been there. We sit there and we do, we do one version and then we think, hmm. And sometimes we have to do it for S&P too, as you know, we have to do an alternate version just to make sure that things are going to pass standards right. and practices. So, uh, Right. And for yeah. people who don't know, that's the network has restrictions or sometimes they want to reevaluate things and they may come back to you later and say, you know, initially we thought that was OK, but we can't use it because of this, whatever the reason is. And so you need something else to have to fill that spot or have that big moment because you can't you can't just go with one option and then find out later you can't use it. Exactly. Which I imagine every once in a while happens to you in the editing room is they say, hey, we got to get rid of that. Yeah. And Even after it, the thought. Now you got to play, play the game of trying to leave at the highest moment that wasn't supposed to be the end. Right, right. And as you know, the network, the people from the network are there most of the time we shoot, definitely when we shoot in front of the audience. So they will say, hey, you know, we're not sure that's going to clear. So can we do uh, an alt um, just to be safe? And, you know, it, it comes down to a lawyer thing a lot of times at the network, and they just want to make sure that, you know, we're not advertising a product or saying things that uh, we may not have clearance to. They're pretty good about uh, getting all that stuff done before we have a shooting draft out. Yeah. But not always. <laughs> we, we have a great staff, and, and shows always have people who do research and people who kind of check all these things, and you try to make sure everything's 100% double-checked and buttoned up and taken care of. <laughs> but every once in a while, we get a surprise, right? Yeah, something slips through. Exactly. Yeah. We've we've had the VFX uh, products off the sets before, just because things haven't cleared and stuff like that. I remember one instance. Um, I think it was in the lunchbox set. Remember, they were redoing the lunchbox. So there was a ladder over there, a yellow ladder that said Werner on it which is obviously a ladder company. Right. And it's also the studio part of our show. Right. So I said, uh, is that ladder cleared? And they go, oh, no. <laughs> so they should have, you know, yelled. The ladder's yellow, so they should have probably yelled the ladder. But we they had to used to that. call it Greeking, and then they used yeah. to call it something Change else. Greeking the was they used to try and make it look almost like Greek letters, so it was looked something foreign, add a little piece here and a piece there to change the words or take out a letter. And when I used to work props, we used to do a lot of that stuff because in the old days, you couldn't have any logos whatsoever. So we All used right. to eliminate everything that even looked almost like a logo. Or now, a lot of times, you make new logos because of computers. Mm -hmm. You just slap them over the existing ones. Yeah, that's so easy to do. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but uh, I think it's kind of funny when something slips through like that because, you know, there's so much in these sets that you got to think about. And uh, your eyes are drawn to you guys for the most part, not like the flower in the background and your monster back there. And uh, yeah, Godzilla. Godzilla's right behind you and you've got a pyramid of so that's not really a pyramid but obelisk yeah I, yeah, I, tried it. I, I mix up what I have in the room the room's <laughs> kind of simple but Godzilla's from the original show so right I remember that yeah that's awesome are you doing all the editing yourself I'm doing everything everything um, from inviting people on to tracking down guests to keeping track of paperwork to editing and wow. you know, going through all the pieces and doing everything I'm a one-stop shop and 
it's a lot of fun. I, it's my passion. I love and admire the people that I work with and just how many amazing gifted artists I get to work with on a daily basis. And so I want to celebrate the people that don't always get the love they deserve. Well, that's very nice of you. We have a great crew. Yeah. I hope we'll see more behind the scenes people. They're, they're, they're all awesome. It's also about the individual people. And you know, you can get people in the same department, but their perspective is different. I feel like I can interview a thousand people and a thousand people in the same job. And every one of them is different because each person has their own feel or vision of what they do and why they do it, what brought them. Yeah, so, everyone's got kind of different experiences. It's fun because, you know, you and I are a little on the older side. I'm older than you, but we've got these the, the new breed behind us coming in that are some of our PAs, you know, oh, this is my second show, you know, and yada, yada. It's kind of funny. Or their first show, because we have a lot of PAs that this is their first gig out of college. So it's fun right. seeing how they, uh, how they grow and you reference things that they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they give you yep. this blank, like, who is that? Right. And, and it's funny because their knowledge of the history is different. And for us, a lot of it's not history. We were there. But, exactly. But it's yeah. funny. And I'm trying to touch on a lot of veterans in this business, but I've also been doing some people who are new. And I'm trying to get that new perspective, too, of I want to watch some of these people and see how they grow and see where their path takes them or where they think they're headed. Yeah, that's awesome. Watching how they how watch their IMDb and how what shows they work on, and some of these people become directors, producers. It's fun seeing them go up the ladder. I mean, I could be working for one of these PAs one day. You know, you never know. Well, that's my thing. I especially the ones that are really driven. I always tell them, my hope is that one day we're working on your dream project, and I'm there because I've earned the right to be there and help you build this. Right. You know, I get phone calls from people I've worked with 30 years ago. Before I even did Baby Daddy, I was, I forget what I was editing at the time, but I got a phone call from Mara Brock-Akiel. She created The Game and uh, many other shows. And she called me out of the blue and I'm like, oh, hi. And she was basically, I think she was a writer's assistant on Moesha when I met her. And she said, hey, I don't know if you've heard but the game, which was a multicam sitcom, I think they shot three seasons and then it was canceled. And people loved it so much, this woman in Florida started a Facebook page, like bring back the game. So they all of a sudden had over a million followers and they went to, Mara took all this uh, good info to BET and they decided to bring it back. You know, she knew me as the editor of Moesha and the Parkers and this and that. So she called me and I went and edited two seasons of the game, which became a single camera show during that time. It's all about making relationships with people and good ones, you know, because they'll remember you if you, you know, do a good job and, and you just remember who you worked with. So uh, fun seeing people you haven't worked with in 20 years. Well, we did so-and-so together a long time ago. Yep. Take us through that because right now we work on a multi-cam, meaning we usually have four cameras and they're moving around. You just mentioned that you edited a show that was a single cam. What's the difference from an editor standpoint of that um, kind of different setup? It, it takes longer to edit a single camera show because the director, the, the crew will shoot your coverage and then they turn the camera around and shoot the coverage of the person that you're talking to in, in a scene where you've got a couple people talking. They, that's called coverage. They shoot the coverage. Then they have to shoot a wide shot. It's a longer day. Those are usually uh, 
full 11 hour days and they do so many setups a day. A setup is like one shot. Sometimes they'll shoot two cameras. They might shoot you tight and a little wider, but they get your coverage. Then they turn the camera around and shoot the other actor. And in coverage, like for example, in this scenario, you might shoot me and then you might shoot a tighter of me and then we turn the cameras around and shoot you. Correct. Unlike this where we're shooting both at the same time, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, that's also one of those places where you can miss little gaps of things or there's little gaps when it comes to coverage and editing. They don't always match up perfect. Yeah. The script supervisor has to really be on their game because you're right. And you might even shoot uh, the other side of me on another day or later because that actor is doing something else. So it's harder to shoot a single camera show. Just the, the first 80s are always crazy because they've got this list of who's, what's their call time? Oh, we got to shoot this guy, so we got to shoot that. And there's, it's, a, it's a puzzle. Yeah, and the call sheets get crazy because of oh, yeah. timing and hours and, and setups and locations a lot right. of times. So quite a thing. And that's where the call sheet kind of comes in to kind of try to organize that and it changes rapidly. Right. And in the single camera world, you're, you're breaking that wall all the time because the camera, after, after you shoot my, your coverage, the camera's in the set. So you obviously couldn't shoot it like a sitcom because the camera's right there. Then you move it around to the 180 degrees and shoot the other side. Here, we, our fourth wall is our camera aisle, right? All you actors are kind of playing out a little bit and we're shooting it more like a stage play than a single camera show like that blocking the movements of the actors and then the camera angles you use is very different the actor i feel like in multicam has a a, a much bigger responsibility for the accountability of shooting lanes and locations and hitting your mark within the framework of playing you yes. have to really do these things because again if i lean back and take myself away from whatever happens right after i make my line then you can't have a reaction from me or you know you stack up behind each other you can't use that shot now you have to go to a different camera for that coverage exactly and uh sometimes i have to blow up to, to lose an arm or something so that when i cut to the opposite angle it's, it's more of a match if you watch the single camera shows at home and you really start to look at the cuts you'll see non-matching issues now and again but for the most part you know if you're into the show it works just don't watch too close sometimes if you turn the sound down that's the key if you really want to see the bad edits turn the sound down so you can't hear what they're saying and just watch what i happens. do that as a as a director yeah and sometimes even as a writer what i'll do is i'll take a show and i'll watch with the sound off because it, it you can see a lot more technically because nothing oh, gets yeah. covered by the story as an actor and a director, I like to watch and see, am I getting the message of this show or this episode based solely on the visual aspect? Is that all working for me? Right. And, it, and it's a good cue for me, both as a, as a performer, but also as a director to say, okay, this worked, this didn't. Why did this work? Okay, what did this person do? Wow, that person was really invested and made me invest without any gift of sound. And you really see their body language too when they're, when there's no sound. <laughs> you really can see what, what they're, sometimes the sound hides that a little bit, you know, because you, you, I guess the sound is kind of a buffer and you're not looking at their, their movements so much. But when you turn that sound down, you, you pretty much see everything from a blink of an eye to 
uh, how their legs are crossed and how they're moving their arms and, and everything. Yeah, a brilliant acting coach, uh, Steve Easton, once told me that Ben Kingsley used to say, out of your stillness grows beauty. Mm. And there's something about, there's a lot of actors who are doing a lot of stuff. And particularly on single camera, where you do a lot of close up or movies, you know, on movies, if I'm doing a lot of stuff with my eyebrows when I say things, those things are jumping 10 feet, you know, because, yeah. because the screen is so big. Right. So there's a lot of subtlety to knowing when to play big, knowing when to be simple. Staying still. Just yeah. let, your, let your face be your reaction. Sometimes it's the best thing. Especially you know? really deep moments. As an right. actor, as a director, you know, and that's why they say, you know, when you go in close, you really see the depth of, of a performer because you got to see, is it happening in the eyes? Is it, right. is it happening on their face? Because at that point, it's not a lot of movement. It's looking deeply into the camera and trying to tell the most authentic truth. Exactly. Yeah, that makes for the best stories. I always try and cut around eyes. You know, you want your eye lines are very important. When you've looked at her long enough and what she's pulling out of your eyes, you just have to. I swim those um, cut points around quite a bit. Sometimes I even open them up a little bit if I need to to create a little more of a moment. You know, eyes are very important. Take us through that as an editor, right, of pulling in to kind of get rid of something in a frame or pulling back and kind of blowing it all up to get a different perspective. And then do you try to, you know, I know a lot of times the director's job is to frame kind of the shot itself, but you can reframe shots. Yeah. We shoot our show in 2K, which gives me a pretty liberal amount of room to blow up. I can blow up shots. You know, they say 50%. I usually don't go that far, but sometimes I'll tighten something up 20, 30%. If you've got a little too much air over here on your left side, I can, I can move that over a little bit. Sometimes the cameraman, and it's not their fault, they're shooting through a doorway or there's a prop there or something. And, they, and I know all our cameramen really well, and they know that I would rather them just leave it there and I'll fix it rather than them trying to, uh, our show happens so quickly, as you know, yeah. there's not time to stop and readjust everything because the joke will be gone. The audience is roaring. So our cameramen are real, they're the best in the business and they will stop. If there's a piece of door or something that I'm gonna get rid of, they know not to just tighten past it. They know that I'll, I'll fix it in post basically. Yeah, we do that. We do that frequently. You know, we'll take booms out, but I've always got that 20, 30, 40% area to reframe. I can't edit what we don't have, you know, so I can't back that out. Like if there's a flower pot over here, I can't add that in. Right. You, you actually can, but you can't add, you actually can add more set space if you, if you think about it and a way to do it. You could go back and, and reshoot something and add things and it's done, you know. We get most everything in a couple takes. Very little uh, blowing up or anything. A little bit here and there for the most part. But it's, uh, it is what it is. It's a stage play. Well, we shoot our show fairly on the wide side. We're not one of these shows that goes really tight. Where's my face? You know, like right there. Right. We're, we're kind of like what you and I are seeing right now. A lot of times, just because of body language, we'll shoot cowboys. You know, a close-up in our show is kind of here to here. 
right? Yeah, it, it, not real tight. Not real tight. It's kind of chest to head, right? Yeah. But in single uh, cameras, that might be closer to just the head or yeah. top of shoulders. And in movies, it can be as close as a real close-up is can be just the face or just the eyes, even almost an insert shot. Well, and even other sitcoms. There are a lot of sitcoms that shoot stuff really tight, too. Um, we're just not one of those shows. Full cowboy being being shins up, but we do a lot of waist up. Yeah. We do a lot of where we're seated next, seated next to each other. And, two shots. 50-50. You know, shots. Yeah. And then we do a lot of, like, you know, shin up, full cowboy, where, you know, and that term kind of comes from in the old days, that was how they matched up the size of people a lot of times was you didn't yeah. shoot the floor because some people were walking on ramps and, you know, and There's, cowboy boots or some people were in boots and some people weren't. Right. Because cowboy boots. Marks expensive. all over the place down there too, right? Yes. And, and all <laughs> kinds of stuff on the ground or, you know, there's lots of stories in the old movies. A lot of times the, the main actors were very short. And a lot of the women were very tall to give them that real long, uh, elegant appearance. Mm -hmm. And there would be trenches dug so that the female actress could go into the trench so that the male actor could look bigger as they went across Just the screen. Walking by, right. Yeah. And then you got to shoot them cowboy so that they both look like it matches. Exactly. Oh, yeah. We even, I mean, we even do some of that on our show, right? Yes. There are times because, you know, Sarah Gilbert's not very tall. So sometimes we need to get her up so that, you know. Um. Well, I know as a kid, I was on the shorter side. So mm -hmm. the first time going through, there was lots of times where if I had a really important scene, the adult was either seated or we moved to a position where they became seated so that we were more face on face. Right. We had more of an even playing field. Especially, I remember, especially when you're at the kitchen table. Yes. And you're talking to John Goodman. He's a big guy. So right. he, he, here, you're here. So you have to be like on an Apple box or something to, to get you up a couple inches. Yeah. I, we used to use phone books like people would use in their home all the time. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. And now I'm so much taller than most of the people with the exception of John, that there are times that they ask me to kind of either shrink it down or to, right. I play a lot of stuff seated now to try and keep me from being too ominous or too big a presence in the room sometimes right yeah you've gotten a lot bigger than you uh, than you were that's for sure yeah you talked about blowing it up i mean that's where resolutions come in right yes the four networks that are that are the original networks especially abc does not require us to air in 2k even we do that i requested that so that i could do the blow-ups because when we did the roseanne reboot we shot just in hd which is not as high a resolution and there were times i mean sometimes i have to lose an actor i have to where am i here i have to literally take out a third of the screen right that's a pretty big blow up um you know again when we're having to take eight nine minutes out of a show um it becomes difficult and sometimes you need to either bring in an actor early or get an actor out early or something. So it requires doing that. So even though our show does not air in 2K, um, I requested that so that I would have more latitude. Um, Netflix requires everything to be shot in 4K. And I think they do that just for shelf life. And I think their shows do actually air in 4K. Um, the networks are not really so concerned about that. Um, 
and 2K looks pretty good for the most part, um, unless you're going to blow something really up or, or look at it on a screen. For people, you know, maybe at home, people who don't really understand is it's about pixels and space. And what it really becomes is how fine are the edges of things? Because what happens as you start to raise things and blow things out is your proportions, your edges, the contrast starts to disappear and you start to kind of bleed out and, and it looks kind of washed out and grainy. Right. You know, broadcast television has shifted so rapidly in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. You know, when we went to digital cable, we jumped and then we went to high definition. And now with televisions jumping to 4K, you know, a lot of the stuff that people shoot is still below 2K. 2K is actually on the higher end. Yes, it is. Um, HD is basically the entry level uh, high definition standard. And there's a lot still shot in that. I mean, I'm sure in some smaller markets, they're still shooting NTSC somewhere just uh, so they can get stuff on the web and stuff like that. But, and that's the problem with the Roseanne, the Rose, the old Roseannes is they were all shot NTSC because that's all we had at the time. And now we have to blow them. And that's a four by three uh, picture ratio. Right. So and now we have to make that into a 16 by nine picture ratio. Right. So you lose a lot of content and you get these big, it's like now we have those extra close ups. Yes. And, <laughs> and, but they're awkwardly shaped because they were never intended that way. Exactly. How long have you been in the business, Brian? Since high school. <laughs> I started working at the local TV station in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Um, I ran camera and the videotape machines. Our videotape machines were two inch quad machines. The videotape running through the heads was actually two inches wide. And these machines took up the back of a pickup truck. And we had three videotape machines for the entire TV station. All the news film was news film. So there was no three quarter inch at the time. Wow. There was no one inch. There was three quad machines and film. Think, think way ahead of how we were going to use these uh, three videotape machines during newscast. I would uh, put all the news stories, I would dub them all onto one quad reel. So they were all in order. And then the other two machines were used for commercials. So I was behind the technical director and the director in another room, and I had a script in front of me of what the next order was. So I would queue up the commercials, and that required, after one commercial break ran, you had to rewind them, put them back on the shelf, and load the next ones. And then the other third machine had all the news and sports stories on it, and those would roll too. And all these machines needed a seven-second pre-roll. In other words, the technical director rolled the machine and seven seconds later, he was able to cut to it because it took that much time for the machines to lock up. So it was a whole different world back then. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Because now your cell phone runs things faster than that. It, oh it's, it's crazy. I mean, I remember the first time, you know, we were on those big tapes, right? They mm -hmm. were, you know, they look like giant VHS tapes almost. And other people were shooting on film. Um, I'm actually, you know, one of the probably younger guys who knows how to load film through a camera and, and track it all down and check the gate and do all these things. You know, back in those days, editing was such a fine art because you were literally either combining old film or you were running two things and running them to blend them together to record them into a new. And I remember putting, uh, like, we, 
you know, during the newscast, there would be a car accident or something would happen and they would bring the film back and our processor was in the basement and you were literally putting the film up while it was still wet mm. so that you could get it on the air at the end of the 10 o'clock news that night. I had so much gunk on my hands. <laughs> they'd say, Brian, you got, you got to go load the projector. It's coming up from the, from the processor right now. And they'd, a guy named Lavar would hand me the film, and I'm still, you know, wet, and I'm throwing it on there, and <laughs> try to try to feed it through, make sure you don't miss anything, right? Like <laughs> crazy days back then, let me tell you. Well, and seven second delays may not yeah. sound like a lot, but when you're doing a show like that, seven seconds can be an eternity. I got to work at a time period where we still had delays and things like that, because it's a good skill. So when things go wrong now in a digital age, it's way easier to handle. And after I uh, graduated high school, I moved to Boise, Idaho, and went to BSU, Boise State University. So my shift was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. It was graveyard. So I would spend all night dubbing all the spot reels to one, that's actually two 90-minute reels, so that all the commercials for that day came off that one reel. So I've really gone the whole gamut from film to quad to one-inch machines to digital to, to beta. I actually directed television news in Boise. We would have to count down the reporter to the story. As a director, you had the script in front of you and you tried to back time what six or seven seconds was. So you'd roll the tape machine and then the uh, floor director would be counting down to the anchor as to when we could cut to the story. So you prayed that was within a second or two of each other. Now it's instant. One of my duties when I was a cameraman originally in, in uh, 1975 was one of the cameramen had to, before the newscast, drive to the airport, pick up the weather charts, which were printed on a fax looking thermal machine, I forget what it was called, and drive back and then we would shoot those on our third camera. And like you say, green screen them behind our weather guy. What was your dream coming into the business? I got it. I, I'd always been interested in, uh, you know, quarter inch audio recording because my dad did that growing up. And I was kind of one of those technical nerdy guys, you know. And I was in the band in junior high. And the band director knew that I liked that. So he put me in charge of recording so before all the performances for our parents, I'd go set up a couple microphones and, you know, do that and everything. But I was still playing, I was playing the tube and the sousaphone at that point. So I'd have to go sneak over and record everything. And then at the end, I'd have to go turn it off and everything. I, I got a job at the auditorium when I went to uh, Idaho Falls High School running lights and sound. Um, for our theater performances and also for the shows that came to the theater through the city. Like we had Liberace, we had the new Christy Minstrels, we had a lot of mainstream kind of performance acts. I knew that I really liked the technical uh, part of it. I always knew that I wanted to do something. I directed television news for probably, um, I don't know, five, six years, the six o'clock and 10 o'clock news all the Boise State football, basketball games. We went on the road. As you know, directing is quite stressful at times. I eventually moved to Sacramento. CMX editing, which I'm sure you know what that is. Yeah. CMX editing is the predecessor to the uh, computer editing. CMX editing is computer-assisted editing, where the computer 
triggers the tape machines to run in sync with each other, trigger the switcher and everything. To kind of overlap. And in, in those days, you used to hit the switches to go back and forth and, and decide yeah. what was really live, essentially, right? Yeah. You yeah. would have a, you could set up the editor to trigger your switcher to do things, or you could do it manually. But all the tape machines would run in sync with each other, so you could recreate an edit if you needed to. And then in the 90s, of course, companies like Lightworks and Avid came to the forefront, and that's what we're editing on now. Now, are, are you using Avid, right? We use Avid for the show? We use Avid Media Composer to do the editing for the show, correct? Really three or four different editors out there. There's Adobe Premiere. There's obviously Final Cut Pro, which I've edited a couple shows on in the past. Um, I prefer Avid because I've just known it so long. It, it's like second nature to me. So there, there's about five or six different uh, high-end editing companies out there. Things that used to take a lot of time. <laughs> now you're like, this is easy. Yeah. You know, I, I hear people complaining. It's funny. I might be the one person who doesn't complain crazy about like render times or how long it takes to cut some of these things. Cause I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> we used to like start the machine and go home and then come back the next day. Do it overnight. Yeah. And hope it was done. <laughs> oh yeah. Those were the days, huh? For people that don't know, we shoot the cam, we shoot the show with four or even five cameras. We shot a lot of five camera stuff this last season. And then uh, the computer syncs everything up by time code and I watch it exactly as it was shot with four or five cameras. Yeah, some software will crash trying to run five spring streams of DNX-175, which is a codec we added in at the same time, uh, is taxing on computers. So. Uh, we don't use the latest version of the software. We use something that everyone in town has been using and we know it's solid. Our turnaround from when we shoot it to when it goes on the air is maybe three weeks. On yeah. Average, sometimes four weeks, but often it's less. And also to mention, uh, we shoot our show Friday nights at six. And there's been a couple times where we have shot a scene for playback at four o'clock or 3.30 right. to four o'clock. And then everyone goes to eat and my assistant Ray and I start digitizing, editing and everything. And we get, we get the uh, producers over to look at it at like five and then we tweak it and this and that, and it's ready to go. You get it. We talked about how many people kind of take a look at it, but you know, all of those approvals and then has to go to the network and all these approvals have to happen in sequential order, essentially. True. And they have to happen after every episode. But meanwhile, you have other episodes that you're still working on or that you may have to go back and adjust something or we had to reshoot a few things, not so much this last season, but the season before we reshot to, yeah. to kind of reshape certain shows from early in the season, especially um, separation of church and Dan, you know, that. Yeah. We shot that church scene over again. Yeah. Outside then inside. Right. Yeah. We shot, we, we shot the outside on location. Right. And we didn't like the way that looked. Um, in comparison to everything else. And then the tone of the show changed because it was a lot more in, in the church and, and yeah. some of that stuff. And then we shifted it to more in the garage and uh, right. more conversations between uh, Dan and his daughters. And so exactly. that shift required real short notice, real quick shifting and re-editing. Yeah. Our post, do you want me to talk about that at all? Please. So I have Brooke, you know Brooke. She's yeah. our post-supervisor, associate producer, everything kind of runs through her. 
she's got a master schedule of when I need to have things done so that we can hit the air. And after my cut is done, it there's a whole nother process that the show has to go through finishing. It's got to be color corrected. There are actually a lot of VFX shots that you don't even really see too often, but there are things that need to be fixed. Uh, there are marks on the floors, actors' marks on the floors need to be removed, booms, boom shadows. Sometimes a product placement thing will have to be greeked or something. Sometimes we even have to do things to people's faces. It's, it's not common, but every once in a while, there's something we want to clean up here or there just to make something look smoother. So that, that can take a couple days. And then it goes into the sound mix. It takes a couple days. It takes a day of prep just to get it ready to go over to Charlie McDaniel. So that's our process. And then, of course, there's more deliverables, closed captioning. It goes through the whole gamut. There's a lot more to meet the eye than just, here's the show. There's many versions of it. There's streaming versions of it. There's the version that goes to ABC for air. There's promo versions that we have to output ahead of time, but they have to have something to promote so that uh, they know what's coming on in three weeks, two weeks, whatever. And all of those are, the formatting's different. You know, they could be different bit rates, different formats, different resolutions, different sizes now with all of the social medias and everything else and all the different codecs that have to kind of be utilized right optimized i would say i mean you can use some yep. of them but they just don't look as as good and so right. from a professional standpoint your editing job has really kind of grown and changed over the years it's more way. there's a lot more involved than just getting the master to abc to air it's like there's so many different places that it's you know going to air in so many different versions that uh, it, it just takes a lot longer my assistant, Ray, is constantly doing outputs for different versions. <laughs> well, Brooke and Ray and, and Kip and, I mean, everybody who works in, in our kind of post department is what I, the way I would phrase it, is astonishingly good at their job. You've had a long, illustrious career. What are some of the highlights? What are some of your most memorable projects you've worked on? I really liked Moesha, um, Henry Chan was the director and he was an editor turned director he edited cosby he edited a different world sitcoms back in the 70s and 80s and he turned director somewhere around the moesha time so we're talking the uh late 90s and uh he was kind of the flagship director over there he directed the majority of them and he and i had known each other for such a long time we used to bike ride here in manhattan beach together and We'd met at Complete Post where I was a staff editor and he was also editing Different World and different shows there. So we knew each other for a long time. And it was all shot on uh, Super 16. It was a film show. I went and edited the Parkers and the Parkers was shot on film, as I recall, but that's when they made the switch. Right. They, that show switched to digital. Uh, so I, I love those two shows. Um, I, I did Lucky Louie for HBO which uh, I really enjoyed that show just because of the rawness and stuff like that. That was kind of fun to work on that show. Very good actors on that. And Andrew Wayman, one of our flagship directors, directed all of the Lucky Louie episodes, except the pilot. He's just such a great guy to work with. Stable, even-keeled guy who just uh, doesn't get riled up over anything. Yeah, he, And leads with a 
quiet kindness. And then Baby Daddy. I did Baby Daddy, 100 episodes. Like I was on Baby Daddy for six seasons. And you get kind of like, you know, you don't even get calls at pilot season sometimes because they know, oh, he's doing Baby Daddy, you know. Yeah, he's committed, right? And then you come out into the world again and it's like, oh, I haven't seen you since Moesha or, or the Parkers or, you know, something. It's fun seeing people all over again. And as you know, there's, there's what, five big sound stages in Hollywood. There's Warner Brothers, there's Radford, there's Paramount, there's Sony and Fox. So right. people you haven't worked with are stuck on those lots for however many seasons of show. So you, you won't see people, but they're still around for years, right? You connect, right? You, and yeah, you, you reconnect. So yeah. when you reconnect, you have this shared history together. Yeah. And, and there are stories that you really... Only the people who were there know, right? And, and you went through these experiences together. You know, I always equate it to their friends from high school or their friends from college or that first group that they all work together at a company. These are groups that stick with you. And when you get back together, you kind of fall right back into your connections. Exactly. I, there's a story when we were doing Moesha, you know, it was shot on film, right? So uh, you had rolls of film that didn't last near as long as this digital stuff does so you'd have all these rolls of film at the end of the day and it was the job of the production the post-production associate to take them to over to i think it was photochem at the time and they had to get transferred and this all happened in the middle of the night okay after we shoot the show it all goes in the soup and a couple hours later it comes out and then it went over to complete post where it was all digitized all night long so that when I came in the next morning, I would have something to edit. Well, a film, a film reel from, I think it was a C camera, disappeared. Was never found to this day. <laughs> so we're, we're over there and you know you had sign-ins and everything. It wasn't like it is in computers now, but it just came missing and nobody knew that it disappeared and back then on a film roll, I forget the timing, but there were like a couple scenes on it. You know, maybe maybe five, six takes on this one piece of film. And they said, you got to see if you can edit this without that camera. Because if we need to reshoot, we're going to have to get everybody back and yada, yada. So I edited the scene best I could and they bought it. <laughs> well, that's the hard part. I mean, and this is, you know, like we joked about earlier, sometimes there's a piece that doesn't work or a piece that doesn't fit. And rarely can you go back and then if you go back the hard part is trying to match the continuity oh, exactly of yeah. what that day was like everything lighting wardrobe makeup everything yeah Hair. we're very careful now shows are very careful about checking they still call it you'll hear, you still hear them say check the gates and everyone laughs right but it's basically um before we wrap up set out we need to tell we actually have to sign off that we have all the takes digitally stored in like three different places. And then the next day, like if we have a swing set, they can tear that down. But we're very conscious. Ray, my assistant, as soon as it's shot for the most part, you know, we break off at lunch. And every once in a while, as you know, we have a no roll or something happens. Um, and we just yeah. have to make sure that we have, a, have everything we need to edit the show. Yeah. But the one that also happens is sometimes you hit it or the light is on on the camera. And, and it's, it's not, not happening. Recording. There's a technical problem and in the camera. Yeah. I, I know you remember this last season we had, we had to stop and change the camera body out yep. 
it, it just for whatever reason it wasn't working but and, it said it was <laughs> yeah it kept telling you it was running and kept saying it was yeah. recording and it kept yeah. saying it was doing it but nothing there we were lucky because it took us a little time caught. to figure out catch it and change the body if we hadn't caught it you know yeah. we'd mm -hmm. be in the same situation and then there's not even a reel to find it's just not there you have to have a process in your post department where everything is signed off for camera cards because we reuse them as soon as they're wiped it's got to be copied in three separate places and there can't be any hiccups in any of those clips so it's a process it takes yeah. time it takes it so they come out now for people who don't know they come in cards like memory cards mm -hmm. think of it and think of it almost like little hard drives take them and you transfer them but you don't just transfer them once like you said you transfer them to three different locations that are essentially apart from each other so if anything was to happen you have a backup and you have a backup for that one and then the cards we use hold 240 gigabytes so they're quite large but when you're recording at 2k or 4k that gets eaten up really quickly let me tell you it goes by really fast the connors we have seven sets of them and we generally use two on a pre-shoot day and then four on an audience day or something like that and then we've usually got a spare that's all going to change this season because we don't have the live audience aspect now we may you know we may put some people in the audience distanced that work on the show uh laugh groups see for me i prefer i don't want anybody to laugh because they're supposed to i want i gotta earn it you sound forced right the writer executive in me when i run shows at some point one of the things for me is i want people to laugh only authentically and i know that's hard because then it doesn't mean as an actor you always get the extra feedback that i gotta make you laugh yeah because then it doesn't give you this false sense of security exactly. that isn't there because what happens is when the audience comes the truth is the audience doesn't care and they don't care who's at the top of the call sheet they don't care what the order of the players are they don't care about what happened that day or anything else they only care about is it funny do they believe you they react based on like they're watching and does Vito laugh <laughs> right <laughs> right oh man he is right there too for people who don't know Vita is our dolly cameraman and he's right he's usually about what 15 feet away from you at the most yeah he's got this <laughs> laugh that is unmistakably Vito but when something is funny he just unloads he just laughs it's well, he, hilarious he laughs with a joy right yeah and, no and it's I funny it. people who yeah. love yeah who love moments and share the laugh with you you can tell when they're authentic and and that's yeah. the one thing i like is he's authentic with his laugh so you get what you what you're really getting yeah and that's the hard part you know sometimes when you tell people especially if it's like writer's assistants of people who are invested in the process and you say okay we want you to come laugh like there's people who are going to laugh at their joke and, and every once in a while in a in a run through it kills me because this is a behind the scenes thing is the timing will be off or someone will take an extra pause and the person knows it's their joke and they start laughing early and i'm always like oh you got caught <laughs> then brian what's a moment that you just couldn't wait to come home and share with your loved ones with your family as you know i got nominated for an emmy for the connors last year so that was kind of fun and uh, i think i found out from another editor texted me and I was like, it happens early in the morning, right? right. So I, I don't even think I was awake. I don't remember I, my phone goes off. Congratulations. You know, that's always kind of fun. Yeah. But, uh, and my wife also works for uh, Disney. So um, 
they're on board with all this. They know what it's like. But one thing that Joanne and I do that we really enjoy is we try and help mentor. We'll sit down. We just had a Zoom meeting with a lovely girl yesterday who's at Santa Clara University where Joanne went. And she's a film major. We're giving her pointers right now on what to do. Uh, even while she's still in school, look for internships. And then when she does graduate next May, we're going to help her work on her resume, give her some contacts and get her, get her foot in the door. We've done this with countless kids and a lot of them are working now. So um, it's fun. It's good to see uh, these kids working on shows, movies, things like that. And uh, we just enjoy doing that. So. I'm a huge proponent of paying it forward and oh, yeah. trying to open a door and be um, a step up for someone, helping them on their journey and helping them learn things that it took us time to learn. And right. if you can give some of those people that knowledge earlier on or help guide them to empower other people, that's the gift of, of our experience. And I, I thank you. You know, I thank no, you. No, it's fun. I enjoy it. and, 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 you know, when you and I got into this business, it was a lot different circumstances have changed so much. A lot of people want a four-year degree now, although it's not mandatory, but a lot of people do. They want you to have experience. It's just, you know, I was never a PA. I was never even an assistant editor. I just kind of grew up editing and directing and yada, yada, and I'm here. But that it's harder now. It's good to become a PA. You know, a lot of these people, oh, I want to produce, right? Or I want to direct. They become a PA and go, Hell no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, they suddenly change what their path is and they say, eh, it's not the area I thought. Well, and you know, I hope that's part of this show is I hope I'm opening the door for people to go, hey, that job sounds really interesting. Yeah, or, well, RPAs have pretty much full run of the stage and everything and they go up to the sound booth and go, wow, this is so cool. I didn't even know we had a sound booth, you know? There's so many different jobs, hair, makeup, wardrobe, prop. It's not all about producing, directing, and editing. There are so many jobs. And your path changes. Everybody's path's a little different. I do think the system is a lot more kind of regimented and organized now. So you really have to kind of find your way in. You need access. You need people to help make connections. And then it really is you show your work ethic and you earn your way. Right. And, and But you got to have access a little bit to earn your way mentorship means everything yeah definitely and i know you know we've we had a couple groups come through this last season of kids from school and it was so fun i remember one group there must have been about 20 or 30 of them and they came in the edit bay and i was like well it's a good thing i have a big edit bay right right and they were just so interesting and then a couple of them hung back afterwards and they said wow I really want to learn more about this. So I give them my, you know, give them my email address and everything. A couple of them came to the show. It's great that we can, we can help people do that. Cause uh, you know, we're, we're going to retire eventually and they're going to be new people here. I want to see personally, I want to see more female and persons of color editing. I've had quite a few assistants. The thing about sitcoms is, Multicam sitcoms, there's only a handful of us, as you probably know. There, I would estimate there's probably 40 or 50 of us in town trying to help other people get their foot in the door and edit, spread the love a little bit, you know? I have a group, I, you know, I, I try to help and mentor people along the way. I actually have a couple people in mind. Uh, if you mm -hmm. don't mind, I'll send them your direction. Work, what is the first thing you look at on a call sheet? I never look at my name because i'm always oc right 
I'll, I, I'll call I, and edit, <laughs> and you're always in before whatever I, it was supposed to I always to be. look at ESU, right? Yeah. I always look at ESU and just see what time we're going to be uh, there. And then the next thing I look at is uh, that I want to know what time our first shot is. Because it's usually around, what, 10 or 11? Because I need to be there for that. All right. Now, what's the last thing you want to see on a call sheet? Animals, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. That's uh, tough because it can make for a headache. Or maybe even some babies this season, because, you know, we've been kind of through the ringer. All right. What do you love to see at craft service? Our craft service is so great. He is awesome. Um, snacks and fruits and vegetables. And yeah, I love his amazing job. I love the peanut butter in the celery, those little mm. things he made. Yeah. Those are awesome. What's the thing you hate to see at craft services? Uh, that I got there too late and the food's all gone. Oh, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. No, they're pretty good on, on the Connors. We always had, it seemed like we always had pretty much enough. Uh, Chance does an incredible job. Our, our craft he, services, is, he, they, they're he, unbelievable. And he, he's just such a good guy. So When you make a suggestion to him and like two days later, it's there. It's like, dude, really? He said, hey, <laughs> take care of you, you know? Okay, Brian, how do you define success? These are hard questions. Just being happy, loving what you do, you know? I mean, I love doing this. I, I keep thinking retirement is, you know, a few years away, but I can't imagine that I would quit. I think I'll just end up retiring when the phone stops ringing, you know, but um, I just uh, love working, love doing, love editing, you know, do it as long as I can. Well, I normally ask people, how do you measure up to your definition of success? But I'll say, nobody's going to stop calling. You are it seems to be at the top of your game and continuing to excel. So stay as long as you like. They keep calling. I'll be there. Okay. What's the one thing you want on every set? Actually, you're going to find, you know, I want a medic there. And I'm not saying that because of the pandemic, but I, I'm not even in a really high uh, risk uh, job where I'm doing a lot of, uh, you know, like, like these construction guys are crazy. The stuff they're running around, the grips, the lighting. Yep. You know, but every once in a while, you do something to yourself, right? Yep. You cut yourself, or you you need some Advil, or you you need something. So I'm I've visited the medic probably, you know, as much as I've needed to. But I can't imagine guys that are over there doing guys and girls that are over there doing this all day, cutting things. I mean, we've had some issues on some of our shows. Yeah, um, I've been the medic essentially for <laughs> the most of this last year i mean i i used to be a rescue diver so i i have some training so it, it fit it was fine but we had, we had a diabetic issue we had somebody who has some health issues or so i had to take care of them and actually take them home freak things happen you have hundreds of people working on a place all the time wow. sooner or later you know and and we're it's not like we're not moving anything big heavy there's not equipment everywhere right so exactly and you know i mean i agree with you uh i believe yep. a medic should be kind of standard on every set yeah well, I think we're going to see more of that uh, this fall. Even when we're not there, they are building the sets with radio arm saws and yep. drills, and they're on ladders and they're hanging lights and you know yep. things I used happen. To build sets and do all these jobs, and and man, do I know? And that's why I was so close to all the crew, and I'm always checking on people. And you know, we had somebody who had just kind of a knee issue and a back issue last year, and I was kind of keep track of them and you know luckily they all kind of worked out yeah people don't realize it's a really physical job and yeah it's easy for somebody to get hurt 
Exactly. So thank you for the medics. That's, that's what, that's for a guy that, you know, you wouldn't think would need one, but occasionally you never know. Right. Right. Well, everybody needs one eventually. And that's one of those things. That's why they're so useful. It was a great answer. Okay. So what's the one thing you would eliminate from every set? Ooh, marks on the floors because they're my nemesis because we're always trying to paint them out and sometimes they get forgotten and they get left or whatever, or they, they, you know, cut them down is what they call it to make them really small. Literally we physically paint them out. And when arms and legs cross in front of them, literally have to steal a piece of the floor and track it around, uh, you know, the piece of the floor that's got a red mark on it or a blue mark, it becomes painstaking. That's a brilliant answer and it makes perfect (laughs) sense. But Again, only somebody who works in post would come up with that. <laughs> it makes so much sense, Brian. And like, I'm thinking to myself, of course, marks, because you end up having to get rid of them. And it's like you said, it's your nemesis. Yeah, they're, they're there. Uh, we don't always shoot that wide. But as you know, we're, the way we enter our scenes is usually with, with a wide shot. Right. And when people are moving around, we go after that wide shot. And, you know, that... The good thing about the Connor's kitchen floor is there's generally food on it. From it's got a lot of marks and stuff, yeah. right? It's no. it's never it's never pristine, so at least it's not a shiny like brand new. Exactly, floor. yeah. So sometimes a black mark or a brown mark looks like it could be leftover toast from earlier <laughs> that morning. It's the pink ones and the red ones and the yellow ones that you know don't look natural, but. Uh, we, you know, you look at the shows, you don't see that because we, we fix a lot of that. And sometimes it's not even there. It just depends on how complex the scene is. All right. What's the best thing you've gotten as a gift from a project? Well, I still have it. Hang on. Let me find it. I've got your keychain right here. And i got to find it. <laughs> it's right here. It's right here. Oh. Oh, it's right here find it it's got my spare set of house keys on it but you were really nice enough to give us a really nice keychain that said the connor's on it so i I have that so thank you very much for that always you didn't have to do that no i i tried to make sure that i make sure that everyone knows that they matter that they're acknowledged um because i appreciate all the work everybody does all right how do you want the people who work with you to remember you when we when joanne and i help mentor people we say go meet everybody Go hang out if you can and sponge off these people because these cameramen have been doing this forever and they've got stories and experience and they're just great people to, to you know, to learn from. So um, I guess that's what I got to say about that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah. and I agree with you. I, I think people should, people should do a better job of diving into each other and the other departments because the better we know each other, kind of the more equipped we are to help each other or to ask each other questions and and gain knowledge. And I think it just makes the production better. All right. What's the legacy you want your family to take from your life? I don't know that I just, uh, you know, a a good uh, mentor for kids and people coming up in the business and good editor. I don't know. Family father figure. Lauren's in the business. I've actually got a son in the Navy. And then I've got another son who is studying to be a police officer in today's day. That's going to be a really tricky it's a challenge. And yeah. what I would say is thank your son in the military for his service for me. And then thank your other son for being willing to be the right kind of people to stand up in our society. Because I know you and I know your integrity and I know the honor that you carry yourself with. 
and we need good people to become police officers. Yep. So thank him and tell him, stay true, keep standing in the lessons you learned at home. You're the kind of people we need on the street. Yes, he's going to be good. He's learning so much from everything that's going on. And my best to your wife and your daughter. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for coming on and doing this. Uh, I think it's a really good idea and, and opening experience for people who may not have ever considered the detail of what editing entails and how vital it is. I mean, great. Thank you. And I'm glad you're doing this because it's nice to shed light on everyone's job because not a lot of people know what all the people on the set do, right? I mean, you know what editing is. What does the first AD do? Right. Well, you, they're going to go look at Amy's and go, oh, wow, really? She does all that yep. and all that. And same with Jeremy and the other people you, I'm sure you're going to interview. It's, it, it's going to help people figure out, especially our younger crowd, what they want to do and what sounds really cool. Yeah, I hope that's my hope is to take people behind the scenes and, and to give people an insight into what our business is and how many brilliant and amazing artists go into making a production possible. Right. And, and then also for people to look at this and say, oh, there's a lot of jobs in this business that I'd never considered before. And that one, that one sounds like me or, or, or yeah. I agree with that person who does that job. That sounds like the kind of place I want to be or I want to be a part of that. Well, I just want to say I appreciate you because the, when the audience leaves our set, you're there at the door shaking their hand and talking to them, taking pictures. You're very approachable and people just love that about you. You know, I've taken... I've taken a couple of really fun, candid shots with you that are just a blast. So you're just a fun guy to hang out with, you know? Appreciate it. Stay the way you are. That's all I have to say. Don't change. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I can't wait to share more.